0: Hello church family. It's good to be back in the states uh, and back at home and uh, while I'm not going to be with you in person this morning, it's good to be uh, sharing a message and look forward to next week when I do get to be with you in person. Uh, we've still got uh, a couple of folks in our house quarantining and so I just uh, figured it would be better to be on the safe side and and uh, do a, a pre-recorded message and And stay out one more week. Um, But we are excited about getting back and worshiping with you, our church family. Um, And uh, just want to say thank you for um, your prayer and encouragement. Um, It's been such a huge encouragement. all the text messages and the emails um, for myself for the team the entire ecuador team the four of us who stayed in ecuador quarantined uh, i just can't tell you how much we were encouraged by so many of you who reached out to us and shared text messages and and uh, those of you who who we knew were praying church-wide beyond the church at one point someone shared with me that there were folks around the world praying for us in different countries and we we could feel it and uh, it was it was an encouragement to us, and I know God used that to, to strengthen us um, and to, to get us through. And um, just all the, the the gestures of support and encouragement, the food that you uh, provided for my family and, and the ways you reached out to the other families, the family members of the other folks that were there with us. Uh, we, as of right now, we're pre-recording this, but by the time... We gather together to worship Sunday morning, both in person and virtually. All four of our members will be back. Uh, We found out uh, that Kirk, he was the only one that was still there uh, as of today, and he's getting on a plane early tomorrow morning to head home. So we're thankful for that and, and just excited for everybody to be back home. It was an incredible week. It was an exciting week. Um, and I, I, I'm so very encouraged by how this church has supported this mission from, from the beginning and, and all the way through. Um, we saw God do incredible things, and we're going to share some of those things in the in the weeks ahead when everybody gets back and we're able to do that. Uh, but we just saw God do incredible things um, in the team itself during the week of mission work, and then even uh, through the, the circumstances where uh, four of us tested positive for COVID and had to stay back. Um, just how God used that time was incredible, Um, how the team bonded through the whole thing was was incredible. Um, But, you know, then Wednesday night, we were getting ready to get on the plane, uh, and uh, we were at the airport, and we had tested earlier in the day. Turns out the test that we had taken was the wrong test for COVID, and then we got to the airport and had to rush through and get a rapid test done, and then we found out Four of us tested positive for COVID, myself included, um, and this was about two thirty uh, in the morning uh, when when all all of this was going on. We were getting ready to get on a plane, and it was um, it was around two two o'clock, two thirty. So I, I can't remember exactly; it's all kind of a blur. But uh, so we got uh, we found out that none of the team was going to be able to fly because four of us had tested. So the airline wasn't going to let the rest of the team on the other nine. And so we go back to Dan and Gina's house and. Uh, we were there, uh, and immediately Caleb uh, started working on flights for as soon as possible to get the rest of the team home. We're sitting around the table, and he gets that worked out, and, and now it's time for everybody to go to bed. Um, by that time, it's about 3 o'clock, between 3 and 4 in the morning, I guess it was, and and I just could not sleep. I was concerned about um, my family, concerned about Mandy being here with the, the kids without me, concerned about Gracie going back without me. Uh, concerned about things at the church, you know, just not being here for possibly two weeks at the time, I thought we would still be there for another two weeks. Thankfully, the Lord got us home sooner than that, um, but I was confused uh, all day Thursday, dazed and confused, just kind of you know going through what I had to do to to make sure things were taken care of as much as possible. Uh, I was uncertain there was a lot of uncertainty you know i didn 't understand God, why were you doing this, why were you? leaving me here when my family's at home, all four of us. Why did, why did we have to get COVID? Why did we have to stay there? Um, Our entire team was kind of in a daze, Thursday. Um, Those of us staying were, were grieving over having to stay. Those of us leaving were grieving over having to leave the four. We were all, we'd become really close through the week and, and, and almost like a family. And and it was just, it was a difficult day. So we were all just kind of confused. Now, take our small group sample and picture an entire nation like that. Um, We're going to take a detour this morning. We're going to finish the Fruit of the Spirit series starting next week. We've got two more weeks of that. But this week I just felt led to go to Malachi chapter 1 and spend a little time there. Take that dazed and confused feeling that we had and picture an entire nation, the entire nation of Israel in that state, just kind of wondering Uh, confused, uncertain. God, where are you? What are you doing? Uh, Strange things were happening in the nation of Israel at that time, in Jerusalem, in Malachi's day. Times were confusing and people did not understand why things were the way they were and why God was doing what he was doing at all. They just didn't didn't understand. That entire nation was kind of like the rest of us in ecuador last week that thursday where we were all just kind of getting through the day trying to figure out what's the next step trying to figure out lord why are you doing this why after such a great week are you causing this to happen or allowing this to happen god doesn't cause sickness he doesn't cause evil we live in a broken world but why are you allowing this to happen um that's how the nation of israel felt confused uncertain um, they'd been out of captivity for about a hundred years, I guess, uh, right around approximately hundred years, um, and and they were uh, the temple had been rebuilt at this time. And if you remember the the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had come back and led them to to, to rebuild the walls, and, and then he goes back to uh, to his position as as cupbearer to the king. Um, he he was only there to lead the nation of Israel to rebuild the wall and then he goes back like he said he was going to do. But then he, after he gets back, he realizes that something was going wrong in the nation of Israel. Things were not as they were supposed to be. Um, God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. He had kept his promise with the nation of Israel, but the people not so much. So, Nehemiah goes back to his position, he finds out things are are not well, so he comes back once again to the nation of Israel. When he returns, he finds that the crops are bad, the economy was faltering, there was intermarriage between uh, the Jews and pagans, Um, they were unequally yoked, Um, all of these things, defilement of the priesthood, the poor were being oppressed, all of these things were happening, and Nehemiah realizes this. He comes back and he finds all of these things going on. It was a low point spiritually for Judah. They needed to hear God's word again. They needed to be revitalized. They needed direction. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. We don't have a lot of history on Malachi. Not a lot that we do know, but it's believed he was called at this point to expose all of these sins that I'm just mentioning of the people and we believe that it's right about this time that Nehemiah had come back and he he, he uh, had found all of this. Uh, he had heard about all of this. He had found all of this. We believe that this is when Malachi enters the picture uh, with a message from God to expose all of these things that are going on and to call the people of God back To him, back to repentance. And what we see in this book is a call from God on the people of Israel to develop the spiritual habits necessary to get back in right fellowship with God. The temple's rebuilt, the walls are rebuilt, but their hearts are not where they should be. The people are not where they should be. They needed to develop habits, they needed to develop a passion spiritually, both inward and outward, for God and for service for him, a commitment to God. God had kept his covenant. The people needed to do their part and keep their promises to God, their covenant with God. The Messiah was going to come, and they needed to be ready. I mean, that was God's promise to them, that he would send the Messiah, and there would be a new covenant along with that. But the parts of the people were not ready for that. Malachi was the last prophet that the nation of Israel heard until John the Baptist comes on the scene um, and prepares the way for Jesus. So Malachi, his messages against the sins of these Jews is very poignant and very applicable for us today. Uh, The message that he presents, many of the things that were happening then in the nation of Israel um, are happening today. We can draw parallels. We can see similarities. we We can identify with what's going on there. A lot of these things, were happening, are were happening then, are happening now, and there were two questions that I believe were lingering in the minds and the hearts of the people, the nation of Israel during this time. And I believe these questions are questions that people are asking today. And I will tell you that just honest, open, and transparent. uh, When I found out that I was going to be staying. Uh, in Ecuador, while my daughter and the rest of the team were going back, I have to admit, there were a couple of times where I asked these questions, and you know, you, you, you're almost embarrassed to admit that, but if I'm being honest, there were times where I said, you know, is God capable of changing things, number one, the circumstances that I'm in, and I've asked that several times in my life when i faced difficulty, um, and then number two, does he really care about me? Because I'll just be honest with you. In that moment, I know God loves me, and I know he's got a plan for me, and I believe that, but there were times, and there have been times in my life, and I'm sure in your life too, where you've asked, okay, God, if you really cared about me, then why are you allowing this to happen? What is your purpose in this? And that's what the people were asking because of the circumstances, because of what was going on during this time. Uh, The people of God were asking God, can you really change things? And number two, do you care about us? If you did, why are we in the situation that we're in? In short, what God was doing did not make sense to them. And there have been many times in my life, not just in the past week, but other times in my life, and I know you can identify where what God was doing really didn't make sense. Thankfully, he gave me some clarity through the week. And, and and he does. If you go through the history of the nation of Israel, in the book of Malachi, you see he makes sense. Does God really care? Because what he's doing right now doesn't make sense. But if we wait and we listen, he will speak to us in his time. And, I, and Malachi offers some perspective in these first five verses of chapter one, some realities that we need to think about in times when god doesn't make sense and that's what i want to talk about this morning what what do we do when god doesn't make sense what do we need to understand well, there are a couple of things. When God doesn't make sense, it may just be, number one, because we're confused by his actions because God doesn't operate. He doesn't operate on our timetable, but also his ways are far above our ways. His mind is above our mind. We can't understand, comprehend the mind of God. We don't understand always what he's doing. And we may just be interpreting his actions wrong. He, What he's doing makes perfect sense to him because he has a perfect plan. It may just be confusing to us because we're interpreting his actions improperly. Let's look at the first two verses of Malachi chapter 1. Verse 1, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, verse 2, but you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I love Jacob. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, why is that there? Why put that there? You know, we live in kind of a cynical world. Uh, there are reasons why we are that way. Uh, we've all heard uh, of, of stories, things that people do that just make us, you know, uh, wonder, you know, what kind of world we live in. Now, I read a story. It was a couple of years ago, a news article about a, a man who sued. It says his girlfriend, the, the the title of the news article, but they had just met online. These two people had gone out on a date. A guy and a girl had gone out on a date, and uh, went to the movies. And evidently, the girl kept texting in the movie theater, um, and to the point to where the guy was like, "Hey." Do you need to go outside and and make a phone call and respond to this? And and, uh, I guess she was annoyed. And so she goes outside to answer her text, to make a phone call and never came back. She just left the guy there at the movie theater. And he was hurt, and he was upset, as any of us would be, but he went a little further than most of us would have. He actually filed a lawsuit against this girl for $17.31 because of the cost of the tickets. And I guess maybe maybe a few snacks. I don't know. You couldn't buy snacks on top of a movie ticket for that. But he sued her for $17.31. And she was asked later, um, He, she said, you know, uh, what happened, and I think he had contacted her and asked her for, to pay for the ticket, and she said no because he took me on a date, even though she abandoned him but actually i mean when you read stories like that, it makes you realize at least I think how messed up our society can be and how how people uh, get Uh, get angry and upset and and do petty things. And it's hard not to be cynical about people who are that way, uh, that do things like that. And and there are numerous examples, numerous stories that we see of people that just do crazy things, filing frivolous lawsuits or just doing outright mean things to people. It's hard not to get cynical uh, about towards those people. It's one thing to be cynical and it's not good to be cynical at all, but it's one thing to be cynical towards people. It's a whole other thing to be cynical toward God. And that's where the nation of Israel is right now. And that's, they they were suspicious of God. They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. They didn't, they questioned, they doubted his love for them. But that's why in these first couple of verses, specifically in verse two, God says, I have loved you because they were doubting that and God knew they were doubting that. So through Malachi, he says, let's clear, let's clear something up very quickly. I have loved you. I've shown you my love time and time again. In the midst of a terrible economy, in the midst of oppression, interference by the Persian military, their faith gave way to unbelief. And they, were found, they found themselves in this situation where they were doubting God. They had no enthusiasm for God. And here's the real issue. The real issue was that they were doubting God's love for them. They were doubting his care and his concern. And we can understand because of the oppression, because of the situation. Yeah, they were back, but things were not good in the nation of Israel. In Jerusalem, they were doubting God's love and they were saying, you know what, if God doesn't love us, then God, why should we love you? That's really the heart of what's going on here. Because of the confusion, because of the uncertainty, because of the oppression, because of everything that's going on, they're saying, you know what, God, we don't believe you love us, so why should we love you back? And so God says, let me clear this up. I have always loved you. By the way... Their problem was a lack of, they had lost their first love, which, by the way, is one of the, the, the sins, one of the, the problems that Jesus identifies with the churches, uh, the seven churches in Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, But I have this against you that you have left your first love. And whenever we leave our first love, whenever we begin uh, to, to show a lack of love, of a lack of commitment, and, and allow other things to interfere with our love for Christ, we've gotten off track. Here's the thing, though. For centuries, the Jews have quoted the Shema as their daily prayer. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But the people Malachi was preaching to doubted God's love for them. They they doubted uh, that that he even loved them at all. They questioned that. So why should we love you? Why should they love him back? That's the question they were asking. So Malachi presents several evidences of God's love for Israel. The first of which is God's clear statement. Again, in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. He's probably referring to what the Lord said through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, particularly chapter 7, verses 6 through 11. Let's just, I'm just going to read through that with you. Verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord was devoted to you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery. From the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, know that Yahweh your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant for, uh, a covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. But he directly pays back, verse 10, and destroys those who hate him. There's a little bit of a warning there for God's people through Moses. He will not hesitate to to directly pay back the one who hates him. So keep the command, the statutes, and the ordinances that I'm giving you to follow today. So when God gave the law at Mount Sinai, when he originally gave his law, the emphasis was on was obey my commands obey my law because I am a holy god which that should be enough right there right i mean we know that god is holy he is just he's the god of the universe he's the creator the sustainer he is perfectly holy and and righteous and and that alone should motivate us motivate his people to obey that was when it was originally given that was the emphasis of on the law well when when moses reviews the law for a new generation here's the emphasis the em- Emphasis is obey the Lord because he loves you and you love him. So think about that. We should obey God's law because he's holy. But we should also, the motivation for our obedience, even under the new covenant, should be God has loved me with an everlasting love. He, there's never been a time where he's not loved me. So regardless of my circumstances, I should never waver in my love for him and I should obey him. Because I love him, that was certainly applicable to the people of Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord. He's reminding them, hey, I have loved you and I've shown my love. And so you should obey me because of that and because of the fact that you love me. God is holy and God is love. We should obey him for both of those reasons. Not one or the other, but both. He's holy. He's righteous. He deserves our devotion but also because he's love and he's shown us compassionate love time and time and time again. And we should never, ever doubt either of those truths in the midst of confusion, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of finding out that four of us were staying in Ecuador. And and by the way, really not knowing when we were going to get back, just knowing that we had to test negative before we came back, not understanding when that would happen regardless of what's going on, at some point during the day on Thursday, I came to the realization. Now, listen, I struggled through the week at different times, but at some point during the day on Thursday, I came to the realization, I was reminded of the fact that regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of the confusion, I can know for certain that God loves me. I don't have to doubt his love for me. And if he's got me there, he's got me there for a reason. The nation of Israel doubted God's love, but they needed to understand. God says, I have loved you. Don't doubt my love for you. If I've got you in this situation, I've got you there for a reason. There's something that I want to accomplish. God states also that his sovereign choice he states his sovereign choice in perpetuating his chosen people. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, he asks. And of, of course he was, but people uh, were still confused. They, were, they, they didn't know what was going on. And when God is silent or confusing, don't assume he's not interested. Remind, God is, God is, Malachi is reminding them, God's reminding them through Malachi that the Lord declared, even so, I love Jacob. What is he talking about? He's referring back. He's saying, listen, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for my people. He's referring to his plan for the nation of Israel, but they could not see it. And this leads to our next point. And that's that when God doesn't make sense, we may be affected by human reasoning. He's trying to remind them of his plan, but they're letting their own human reasoning get in the way. It doesn't make sense to them why he's doing what he's doing. And the problem is, human reasoning is flawed at best. Uh, Even the the most intelligent person is going to get it wrong a lot of the time. And it doesn't matter how we try to think through things, how we try to reason through things, we are not able to think and look at things the way that God does because we don't see the big picture and our minds are not perfect. Let's look at verses two through four. But you ask, how have you loved us? So he says, I loved you. And they're, you know, they're going, hey, He's reading their hearts. He's reading their minds. You ask, how have you loved loved us? So he goes back to Jacob and Esau. Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will demolish they will be called a wicked country, and the people the Lord has cursed forever. So what does all this mean? Well, if you look back in Genesis chapter 25, we see the history of Jacob, the Jacob and Esau story. You can look there. You can read, read over it again later, but let me just kind of give you a quick rundown. Jacob lied to get his birthright from his father Isaac. Jacob wanted the birthright uh, that belonged to Esau. Esau was unconcerned about God as a whole. It's kind of a perfect scenario, and he preferred outdoors, he preferred freedom to following God's plan for his life. So what he ends up doing is he ends up selling his birthright to his brother, his younger brother, essentially for a bowl of chili, because he was hungry. I mean, that's how short-sighted he was. So human impulse grabbed him, he took the immediate gratification of food, and then he paid for it dearly. Look at Romans chapter nine verses eleven through thirteen for though her Rebekah's sons jacob and Esau Rebecca's sons, had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, this was all part of god's plan, not from works, but from one who calls. she was told the older will serve the younger, and we see that and in, and in, in Esau giving up his birthright and Jacob. Uh, sort of tricking uh, his father out of his birthright. Not from works, but from the one who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now there's a lot of complexities in that story, a lot of parts of that story that, that, that are, are difficult and confusing, but, but we know that it was, it was from the beginning God's plan for Jacob to, be, to have the birthright, to be the leader. And these verses tell us that God chose Jacob as the one to perpetuate his chosen line. It should have been Esau. He was the older. But through these circumstances, God had chosen Jacob to perpetuate his chosen line. So as a result, Esau's filled with rage. He gets angry after the fact. He bears a grudge against his brother. His descendants, the Edomites, laughed as Jerusalem was later ransacked. Fast forward to the nation of Israel, being taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. That's why the reference to to Edom here in Malachi chapter 1, they laugh. They, they are thrilled with the fact that Israel is taken captive. However, we see that they become obliterated by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they became a wasteland. And that's what's being referred to in verse 3. Um, like other nations in that area, Edom suffered during this time. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had had just kind of run roughshod over everybody. Babylon was such a huge force, and Israel fell to Babylon. Uh, and we see that happen, but the Lord doesn't promise to restore the land of the Edomites like he does the nation of Israel. And that's what all of this is about. God's reminding them, hey, you are my chosen people. You are the ones that are blessed by my presence. And you are the ones that I'm going to restore. You know, the Edomites brag, they could say all they wanted. Hey, we're going to build back. We're going to be bigger than ever. And that's what they were saying. But what God is saying is, I'm not promising restoration for them. They can build whatever they want and I can destroy it. I'm God. I'm not promising that they will be restored. You remember the plan that I've had for you, my people from way back. I will restore you. I'm not promising the Edomites restoration, but I am promising my people restoration that I will provide for them. He called Edom the wicked land in verse 4, but Israel he called the holy land in Zechariah 2.12. Keep in mind that the Edomites were a very evil people who deserved everything they got, okay? Before you start thinking, why did God not... Take care of them. Why didn't he do show favor, show mercy on them? They were evil. They deserved the punishment they got. And listen, by the way, Israel deserved the punishment they got in being sent to exile to begin with. But God's punishment of them was the, for the purpose of correction. They, the, the Edomites were just evil. He was not trying to discipline them; they were not his people. But God punished Israel so that He could correct them and then restore them later. And so that even even that punishment, that discipline, was an example of God's love for them. To the Jews, the Babylonian invasion was punishment for the purpose of correction. But for Edom, it was God's judgment, and that was the difference. You are my people; I have loved you. I had a plan from you from the beginning. And you've seen that plan unfold, and yes, you've suffered hard times, you've been punished, but my punishment is so that you can be corrected and be in a right relationship with me. Here's what's happening, all right? The Jews' human reason, their reasoning, human reasoning told them that God did not love them. What Malachi is doing here is reminding them that God does indeed love them, and that they don't need to doubt that. Think of how God showed his love to the Jewish people. Now, let's just think about this. First, he spared the Jews who were in exile in Babylon. He spared them. He could have wiped them all out because of their—initially, when they were sent into exile, they could have been wiped out because of their disobedience, continued disobedience to God. He spared them. Then he moved King Cyrus, eventually, to allow them to return to Jerusalem they issue Cyrus issues a decree that allows them to return to Judah and then to rebuild the temple. So they, he blesses them with that. He provided leadership, the leadership of Joshua, the high priest, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and Ezra, as well as the prophetic ministry of Haggai, Zechariah, and now Malachi, and Malachi 1 we he, he provides this prophetic ministry he had his people obey the terms or had they obeyed the terms of the covenant that they had made with God the Lord would have blessed them even more but they stalled out that was the problem they were not keeping up their end of the bargain they were a weak remnant sure they were nowhere near what the nation of Israel once was. They were a weak remnant, but the Lord was with them and he had promised to bless them and that should have been enough for them. And he's reminding them, my love should be enough. My provision, my promise, my, my, my ability, my faithfulness should be enough. But they had to move, they had to get past their human reason because human reason told them this is impossible. We can't be what we should be. We can't trust in God's promises because it feels like he's absent. We don't even think he loves us. Human reasoning was getting getting in the way. They had to believe in God's love for him. Bottom line, they had to trust regardless, despite their circumstances, they had to trust in God's love for them. They had a choice to make. Either they could trust God and turn back to him or they could continue in sin and suffer the consequences. They had to trust God despite what circumstances and human, human reasoning was telling them. You know, last week, and, and many times in my life, but last week when it, when it was all said and done, I had to trust that God had a plan and what was going on and what he was allowing to happen. Did not fit with my plan. I was already ready to get on, back on the plane, see my wife. Our anniversary was this past Thursday, or this past Tuesday, 19 years. And I was ready to get home, you know, enjoy my family, celebrate anniversary, and all of a sudden, curveball, all that was wrecked. My plans were wrecked. And then I had to get to a point to where I said, Lord, I trust that you've got a plan in this. I believe there's something you want to accomplish here. In my mind, I'm going, God, doesn't God, God, don't you know I need to get home to my family? They need me. You know, I got things I need to do at home. Don't you know, don't, don't you understand I've got to get back to church. They need me. My own ego getting in the way. Do, 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 don't you care that we're stuck here? That The rest of us, they, hey, you know, Kirk, Ben, Anna, they, they, Anna's got to get home, get ready for school. Kirk, he's got a job. Ben's got a job. They've got families. Don't you understand that they need us? We've got to get home. You know, you could get me home if you wanted to, Lord. You 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 didn't have to allow this to happen. You could get me there. You could provide a way. Hey, you could you could get me there instantly if you wanted to. I mean, you're God, right? You can do whatever you want. And I didn't always trust him perfectly, all right? I, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that all of a sudden a, a switch flipped and everything was good and I was, I, I, I suddenly, you know, I wasn't worried about things at home and I wasn't concerned and everything was all hunky-dory. There were times that I didn't trust that. But the day after I tested, we tested positive for COVID that Thursday, hadn't had much sleep as I shared with you. I called Mandy. We talked several times through the day, just trying to, you know, kind of make sense of this and figure it out. And, 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 I started feeling bad a week ago this past Sunday. I just felt like a sinus infection was coming on. We were in the rainforest and, and I found we all found one spot in the rainforest where we had cell service. And so I texted Mandy a few times and I called her that night after ever at the end of the day. Uh, nobody was around. Everybody had made their phone calls. It was late Sunday night. And I called her and said, honey, I'm, I'm concerned because I knew we were going to have to test uh, for COVID when we came back in. And I, while I didn't feel bad, you know, the first thing that popped into my head was, hey, I, something's going on here. I don't feel great. And I was worried. And I, and I said, honey, I, I'm, I'm concerned about this test. And she just, you know, um, being uh, the, knowing my heart, knowing my mind, trying to set me at ease, she just said, you know, there's probably nothing to worry about. You just need to continue doing the work you're doing and not you can't do anything about it today. And she told me on Thursday, after we had all tested positive, that the next day, that night or the next day, she as she was praying, she just felt led to pray. And this is so strange because she wanted me home and she knew I wanted to be home, but she felt led to pray, Lord, if he needs to sit there for two weeks or however long, let him sit there. And she said, I didn't even, I couldn't even believe that I was praying that. It's kind of what she told me. But she said, the reason she said, she said, honey, there's something God wants to show you there that you're not going to see if you're back at church doing all the day-to-day stuff or if you're back with us doing all the family stuff. You need to be there. By yourself, essentially, to hear whatever it is that God wants to show you, and we're talking and crying on the phone. Even as she says this, and I, I'm thinking, first, my first thought is, why did you pray that? You know, why were you? Why, why did you say that? You know, like like we she jinxed us or something. But the more we talked and the more I thought about it, I, I mean, it just I, I realized she was right. There, there was something that God wants wanted to show me in the midst of that. There was something that God wanted to to teach me. That, that I was not going to hear. And listen, there were, there, there were times where I struggled, but, and there's a lot that he showed me, but let me tell you a couple of things that I did learn in the midst of that. I learned dependence in a new way. i would never been in a situation like that before, so I learned to depend on God and to trust him, a feeling of helplessness that I've never felt before. So I learned dependence in a, in a brand new way. I learned that God has a plan, even when I don't understand, in a new way. I learned that 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 I have to fully submit to him even when I can't see what's coming next. So I learned the Lordship of Christ in a brand new way in the midst of all of that. There were times that I struggled this past week. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't all perfect in, in my trust. It wasn't all perfect in my surrender. But but this past week, this is what I know in all start circumstances, God has a plan. I have to trust him in that plan. In every circumstance, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it makes sense or not, whether everything's lining up perfectly like I would like for it to or not, I have to trust him and I have to believe and continue in belief that he has a plan for me. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel needed to learn. And here is where we learn a very important lesson. And that's that God may not make sense, but he always perpetuates his name. You know, part of my problem this past week is that I was just thinking about my own little world. I wasn't thinking in a kingdom perspective. I wasn't thinking about, you know, God being glorified. I wasn't thinking about what maybe he wanted to do in my life that was bigger than my current circumstance. The, the, the things maybe he wanted to teach me that, that went beyond just the here and now. You know, maybe he wanted to work on me and prepare me in the areas of dependence and lordship and trust for something bigger. And there were other things that he showed me that I'm not going to share in this in this setting that applied directly to my family that I needed to hear in that situation that I would not have been able to get because of the circumstance just through conversation and prayer uh, that God showed me about my family that I needed to hear that I would not have gotten anywhere else. And so I was only thinking about my temporary discomfort. I wasn't thinking about the big picture. I wasn't thinking about the name of God being exalted in my life and beyond what he might use, how he might use that experience. The nation of Israel could only see their temporary discomfort. They were not thinking about the name of God being glorified through their circumstances. Look at verse 5. Your own eyes will see this, and you yourselves will say the Lord is great, even beyond the borders of Israel. So in the midst of our confusion over God's ways, regardless of the circumstances, his name lives on. Your own eyes will see this, and you yourselves will say the Lord is great. Uh, You know, when we get uncomfortable, when we get in bad circumstances, when things aren't going well, we're not thinking about the name of God being exalted. We're not thinking about the name of God being glorified. Think about the contrast that's presented here in these first few verses about the wicked territory, Esau's Edomites, with the blessed land and blessed people of the nation of Israel. Look at Zechariah 2:12. <clears throat> the Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the holy land and he will once again choose Jerusalem. So you have the wicked people, the wicked Edomites, and then the Lord will take possession of Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem, God's blessing. On his people. God reminded them in verse 5 that he will be praised and magnified even beyond the borders of Israel. It wasn't even just about the nation of Israel. God's plan in blessing those people, his people, was so that his name would be exalted outside of the borders of Jerusalem, outside of the borders of Israel. And here's where we learn a humbling reality. And if we could learn this, then we would look at our circumstances a little different. Here it is. God will be glorified. He cannot be confined, and he will not be contained. So during the reigns of David and Solomon, we look through the history of Israel. God manifested his glory through the nation of Israel so that the Gentiles would come from distant lands from far off to see what was happening in Israel. To a lesser degree, he, this also happened during the times of Josiah and Hezekiah, but the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple gave Gentiles an opportunity to ridicule Israel. You know, One of the things that broke Nehemiah's heart when he came back and saw the walls uh, as a rubble pile, the gates have, being burned as they were, is that, that those things represented the authority of God. They represented the protection of God. And so, so the nation being in a mess, God's glory was in reproach. That's what troubled him more than anything, is that the glory of God was in reproach, and so So the nation of Israel going into exile gave the Gentiles an opportunity to mock the nation of Israel and to mock God. The glory of God, the name of God was in reproach. So when God brings this remnant back, the temple is rebuilt, the walls are rebuilt, God wanted to bless them and once again manifest his glory among them. But even though they had been punished by God's law, he wanted to manifest his glory among them. The problem was they didn't trust him and they didn't obey. So, so the reason God wasn't acting. The reason they felt he was distant, the reason times were confusing, was because they didn't trust him. God had plans for them. God wanted to manifest his glory, but they could only see what was right in front of them. They couldn't see the bigger picture. They didn't have a kingdom perspective. And so God was saying, if you would just trust me, if you will remember my faithfulness, if you will remember my love, if you'll remember, hey, I had a plan for you from the beginning. The covenant that I made with Abraham is still good. I've perpetuated my name throughout your history, and I've got plans to do that in the future. I want to restore you so that once again, my name will be glorified outside the borders of Israel. God had a plan. They had been punished by God. They had been ruined by Babylon. Even though they had lost the respect of the Gentile nations around them, the Jews could have made a new beginning and been a witness to the Gentiles of the grace and the mercy of God. Instead, they fell into sins that Malachi addresses in this book. I encourage you to read through the rest of the book and see how it's addressed. They only gave, as a result, a weak witness to the glory of God. They missed their opportunity to glorify God. They let the trials and the difficulties that they were, in, they were facing engulfed them to the point to where they were distracted and they weren't fulfilling the plan that God had given them. They were on the verge of giving up in the midst of that. Now, I've got a picture I want to show you. Bearing that in mind, they were engulfed by trials. This was a waterfall that we saw as we went into, uh, we were going into the rainforest, and somewhere along the way we stopped at this waterfall uh, and the reason we stopped at this waterfall was because our guide, a missionary from there who who had grown up with the Kafanis, which was the tribe that we uh, that we went to, the people that we were ministering to, uh, the work that we did in, in, uh, in, in one of the villages there he had grown up with them, his parents were missionaries, and he had been a missionary there He and his family had been there his whole life, um, and he wanted to take give us the opportunity to walk. Uh, around, not all the way behind this waterfall. And listen, it was powerful. If you got close to it, all that mist, you got wet. Some of us, all of us got close to it and we got wet. Um, but some of us, some brave souls in our group, went with Ronnie behind this waterfall uh, to get a closer look at it. And here is, you can't really see, but there's a little small. Dot in the middle that if you look really close, you can see that that's a human being. That is your youth pastor, Brother Caleb, who got out there in the midst of, the, uh, of all of the mist, and he had this little rinky-dink poncho on, and the poncho wasn't to keep him dry. The poncho was to keep the pelting mist From hurting you and he got out there and he got kind of confused and and uh, the rest of the group went on ahead of him and he got separated from the group and there he is standing all by himself out there Uh, so he didn't make it as far as the rest of the group sorry Caleb I gotta tell everybody that you didn't go as far as the rest of the group but those four guys total uh, uh, Jose, Ben, uh, Caleb and Ronnie ventured off into this waterfall and uh, they got an adventure they got to see This waterfall, but they all came back saying that being in the waterfall, they went in, that, that it engulfed them. That the waterfall itself, being back there, that there was nowhere you could look—you really couldn't see. They—they've got some video. Uh, I think Jose and Ben both came back with some video. That it was so overwhelming, the water was so intense that they could not see in front of them, and at times they felt like they couldn't breathe. And, and so they—they—they they, they made it through though. They went. They kept going, except for Caleb. Again, sorry, Caleb. Caleb, we had to come back, uh, but the rest of them made it all the way through, and, and they got to see the other side. They got to see the beauty and the power of that waterfall up close and personal. It, it was difficult. It was trying even in that experience, but they made it through and then they came back and they told us about it. And The rest of us were jealous. They made us all want to go through the waterfall, but we didn't have time at that point. You know, on the, our way to the rainforest after that, We got done with that and we got on our little bus to go into the rainforest and Kirk was giving our devotion for the day. And Kirk took that experience and he compared it to the glory of God, how you can come into the presence of God and it's going to affect you just like that waterfall. Even listen, even being close to it, just walking up close to it, not even going behind it. You couldn't, you were affected by it. You couldn't get close to it without being impacted. And that is the way it is with the glory of God. When you encounter it, you will be changed one way or the other the glory of God. Uh, but how do you respond? That's the question. When we encounter the glory of God, how do we respond? Will we accept Christ? Do we submit to him? Are we humbled by him? Will we glorify him in our life? But you know, you take that same experience and you can compare that to the trials of life as well. You know, This waterfall can be an experience or, or an illustration of the trials that we face in life. And we've got a question that we have to answer will we succumb to those trials or will we endure we witnessed all those guys go in we watched them go in and they were gone for a long time i started to get a little worried, but I knew they were with Ronnie, and if you meet Ronnie, I I call him the Ecuadorian Crocodile Dundee. I mean, he's just like, he's like a man's man. He's, you know, walking around in the jungle with bare feet, and so I knew, I knew they were in good, good hands. I knew that Ronnie would take care of them, but they were gone for a really long time, and so it wasn't until they came back out that I really felt good. When I saw them coming back, I realized they were okay. Everyone who went in thankfully came out. You know, we heard their stories afterwards, it was intense. It was, it was even difficult. It was trying, trying to walk through that mist, trying to see, trying to breathe, and then they climbed a little bit. All of that was so very intense, they said. It was difficult, but they had a story to tell afterwards. After they endured that, after they went through, they told us their story and glorified that experience to the point to where it made the rest of us want to do it. We were all regretting the fact that we didn't choose to go into, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, it was hard. But what they received through that, we were were envious of them. They didn't regret going through. Yeah, it was hard. It was difficult. They were glad that they had done it, even though it was difficult. In a similar way, we as believers need to be reminded, we need to understand, we need to remind ourselves, the nation of Israel did, we do, we need to remind ourselves that trials that we experience, trials that we experience as individuals, trials that we experience as mission teams, trials that we experience as a congregation, And we've had some in the past, and listen, we're going to have trials in the future. We're going to have challenges in the future. These trials that we face are also opportunities to glorify God in the face of a world that's watching us. You know, I got stuck in Ecuador for a week. In the grand scheme of things, you know, life, it's not going to affect my life that great. You've had trials much greater than that, I'm sure. We've all had difficulties. And in the future, we're gonna have trials. We're gonna we're gonna be faced with difficulties. So the question is, will we respond to those? Will we endure so that so that we point to something greater than ourselves? Will we glorify God in the midst of 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 our circumstances. When we pass through those trials, will we tell our story in a way that magnifies the Lord and makes the people around us even envious of the fact that we went through those trials because of how close we are to God on the other side of those trials, because of how God manifested his presence in our lives and glorified himself in a way that that brought us closer to him? Will we reflect the glory of God after having gone through those difficulties in front of a watching world. That's how Paul viewed his imprisonment and his possible execution in Rome in Philippians 1, 12 through 26. And that's the way we need to look at the testings of God that he sends our way, because he's going to test us. It's to grow us. It's to stretch us. It's to make us more like him. Here's the deal. Every difficulty is an opportunity to glorify God to demonstrate to others what the Lord can do for those who put their trust in him. Every difficulty that we face is an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our trust in him to a lost and dying world. God will perpetuate his name. His name will be magnified with or without us. His name will be glorified. The question is, will we be a part of that magnification or will we miss our opportunity? That's the question that was in front of the nation of Israel. And that's the question that we face every day as we go through life, especially during those times of difficulty, especially during those times of trial. God will glorify his name. The question is, will we be a part of the magnification? Will we be sharing our story? Will we be living out our faith in a way that glorifies him? That was, the israelites question and that's the question for us today you know it has been a trying week i'm not gonna lie it's been difficult you know there have been a lot of emotional ups and downs the uncertainty of knowing when i would get back home and i know everybody that was there felt that and we we just kind of one at a time uh tested negative and got to come home again thankfully the last one kirk he is getting ready to get on a plane in just a couple of hours praise the lord um when the rest of the team you know i didn't want to be in ecuador when the rest of the team went home uh, you know the mission trip was great but by, by the time i was like lord I, i'm ready to go home i'm, I'm ready to let i want to go with everybody else i did not enjoy putting my oldest daughter in a car to the airport without me and watching them drive off i'm trying to over dramatize it but that was tough okay it was hard um Part of the reason I went, I, God called me to go, and I, I, I knew I was supposed to go, but part of the reason he called me to go was to go with my daughter. And here I was putting in her in a car to leave. She was well taken care of, but that was tough. The four of us who stayed were heartbroken that we had to stay. The nine who left were heartbroken because they had to leave us there. There was nothing we could do about it. Nobody could do anything about it. But, you know, that didn't change what God did in and through our team before that. It didn't change the work we had done. Not that anything we did was, you know, life changing in terms of, you know, the work that we did at the church in the rainforest or, or even at the education center. Yeah, we, we, we planted some seeds and, and, and we, we had a good impact on the people's lives over there. And, I, and I, I, none of us know how God will use that for his kingdom. So there was the kingdom investment. But listen, what it did in us as a team, I've never been a part of a mission team that was as unified as that team that got along so well. We had a a blast together, and God brought us together uh, in in a very unique and special way. So that circumstance of us having to stay there didn't change any of that. The impact that we pray that we had for the kingdom and and the impact that that they had on us are being in the midst of those people, seeing how they lived, seeing how they they, uh, they used all of their resources in the rainforest, made us appreciate our lives a little bit better, made us maybe a little bit more conscious about about being uh, neglecting or, or, or taking for granted the things that we do have. Uh, the, the impact that those kids at the Education Center had on us and seeing uh, you know God working through that ministry that Dan and Gina have there, that didn't change any of that. The things that God showed me this past week in the midst of quarantine, Uh, You know, the growth that I experienced, as much as I missed my family and wanted to come home, I wouldn't trade coming home early for what God showed me through that time of dependence and seeking him. What God did in my heart and my life this past week and what he did in, the, in that team just before I came here, that, that we were, were still sharing text and that text strand that we've got. And, and every time somebody would test negative and get to come home, uh, celebration, the jokes, the, the support, the prayer, the encouragement. What what it's done in the life of our church, I've seen and felt our church come together in a way that, that wouldn't have happened other than this unified in prayer and encouragement. I've seen what you've done for my family and how you've reached out and ministered to my family and the family members of those that were there with me. I've seen our church spring into action. I've seen what God has done, and I, I look forward to seeing what he will do through this on different levels in the future, and it's amazed me how one really, really minor event in the grand scheme of things, how God has used that in such a powerful way. And I can't wait to see what he will do in the future. Here's one thing that I know. And I think I speak for all of us, church-wide, but especially the team as a whole, all of us, the nine that came back, the four that stayed. Here's, here's one thing I know. We will never be the same. We'll never be the same. And I, for one, praise God for that. I'm so thankful that I have been changed by this experience. I'm so thankful for what God showed me in the still quiet of my room with his word open in front of me, in my journal, praying and just recording what God was showing me. I'm thankful for that isolation and how God used that to remove me from the distractions of ministry, the distractions of life, Both my family, my ministry, I love dearly. And I'm glad I'm back. But I'm thankful what God showed me in the quiet place and the still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And I wouldn't trade coming back early for what he showed me, for missing out on what he showed me in those times. I wouldn't trade coming back early for what I've seen him do in the life of this church and rallying around this team. From the beginning of the mission trip through the difficult part, I wouldn't trade any of it. So whatever you're going through, neither God's silence, if you feel like he's silent right now, his confusing actions, the circumstances that you face, none of that indicate, hear me, that does not indicate a loss of love for you. Remember, God says, I have loved you. There's never been a time where he hasn't loved you. And whatever's going on in life doesn't change that. God has a plan for you. In the end, he blesses his children. He blesses us with his love. And he does demand that we respect him and trust him. It's hard sometimes, but we have to trust him and we have to believe in him. And through that faith, that opens the door of blessing in our lives. God says, I have loved you. Have you received that love? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If your life is a mess, if your life is confusing and you don't have a relationship with with Christ, you don't have hope. But it's through that relationship with Jesus Christ, the salvation that he offers, he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be free from sin and free from the restraints of life because through accepting that gift of salvation, you have eternal life in Jesus Christ your Lord. So if you don't have that, then today I encourage you to just speak to the Lord, to just cry out to him and ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. If you are a child of God in the midst of difficult circumstances, listen, I've admitted there were times throughout this week where I wasn't feeling all encouraged and all, you know, I wasn't living out my faith in my mind like I should have been. I was doubting God. I didn't understand his plan. I was angry, you know, at God a few times. I, I was homesick, all of those things. But I always, came back and I settled into the reality that God's in control and I trust him. So if you're, if you're in that position right now where you're confused and you don't understand, what's it gonna take for you to get settled back into the presence of God? What's it gonna take for you to, to, to resign yourself to his plan, to submit to his plan and understand that he does have a good plan for you? Regardless of where you are, we're just gonna spend a few moments in prayer. And then when we get done, the deacons are gonna be down front And they're going to receive you if you want to make a decision, or if you just need somebody to pray with you, or if you just want to come and pray at the altar, whatever it is. I just want in this time of prayer for you just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to to show you what it is that he wants you to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you will be glorified regardless And that you allow us to be a part of glorifying, magnifying your name. The question is, will we trust you? Will we depend on you? And will we glorify your name? Will we be a part of that or will we resist that and miss out on the blessing? Even in the most difficult of circumstances, we can know you love us. We can know that you care for us. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to doubt those times come, those times of uncertainty, we don't, we're not perfect. And you know that. You know our hearts. You know what we're thinking. But Lord, can we get to a place where we trust you regardless of what's going on? Can we get to a place where we move forward in faith amidst uncertainty? Can we get to a place where we don't doubt your love for us? We know that begins with a relationship. We've got to have a relationship with you. And if there's somebody here or watching at home that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they need to accept you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would bring them under conviction right now and that they would cry out to you, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, save me. And I know you'll be faithful to do that. Those that are having trouble trusting you because of whatever circumstance they're facing, whatever pain they're experiencing, fear maybe over COVID or or something else, in their life. Lord, can you can you just give them peace and they, Lord, can they come to a point to where they trust you, that they just submit? We, we, we won't have all the answers. Life won't line up perfectly ever. And in the midst of difficulty, you may, you're, you're, you're probably not going to bring everything in order before we have to trust you. We've got to be willing to have faith despite our circumstances. Lord, I don't know how this experience has really, how you're going to use it. I know how you have used it to this point. I I don't know, know what you want to do in the life of our church. I still don't understand all the reasons why you allowed things to happen the way that you did. But I know that I've seen part of it and I know you have a purpose in it. And Lord, I pray that we as your people, as your church would be in a position to experience your purpose, that we wouldn't miss out on the blessing of having your name be glorified through this experience and every experience that we have, everything that we do as a church. Lord, I pray that you would just accomplish your purpose. I pray that you would do what you're going to do and that we would be a part of it and not be an obstacle to that happening. Lord, we thank you However we need to respond, Lord, I pray that we would respond. And I pray that we would do it in a way that glorifies your name because it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We move into a time of invitation. And as our worship team comes, I pray that you will respond however God leads you to respond. Thank you.